Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Let me turn this on. Good morning, church. Good morning. God is good. All the time. Amen. And all the time. God is good. Amen. Certainly good to see everyone here today. So today we're going to continue on in our Getting Real series, which is really our uh, Discipleship 301 uh, course that we'll be offering. Uh, but before we get to where we're going, I do want to say a couple things, put a couple things on a horizon for us. Uh, one of the things is uh, regarding We Care, We Share. As you know, We Care, We Share and New Beginnings goes way back. Members from this church started that, uh, the ministry that later became uh, its own nonprofit, and a lot of good things happen at We Care, We Share. Um, every day, every week, 30,000 people last year were served. It's just, it's just phenomenal. And uh, I want to encourage you and ask you to think about uh, praying for them and also even consider uh, contributing financially to We Care, We Share. Uh, let me give you three things that are happening right now that are very encouraging to uh, We Care, We Share. Number one is our um, greenhouses are up, and they are uh, planted, and a lot of good things are happening there. Uh, Lorraine is situated in what's known as a food desert. Anybody know what a food desert is? Basically, uh, you're, you're stuck away from fresh fruit uh, and vegetables because geographically where you are and how under-resourced you are. Lorraine uh, is one of those uh, food deserts. We Care, We Share is answering the call uh, by producing fruits and vegetables uh, to give away, but also uh, to teach people how to cook and clean or cook uh, with vegetables uh, in a healthy way too. So, really, really exciting uh, thing for that. Uh, we're also transitioning from uh, simply uh, giving a handout to hand up. We have some really cool things taking place. Uh, acquiring some computers and going to be uh, helping people uh, acquire certificates for uh, manufacturing jobs. And then thirdly, uh, just recently this has developed, uh, Bobby Ross, who is the editor-in-chief from uh, the Christian Chronicle, is going to fly out here and do an expose on We Care, We Share. Uh, the Christian Chronicle, of course, is uh, within the Churches of Christ, uh, is our largest uh, publication. Uh, it's new, newspaper based, so it's not an opinion piece. It's just telling the world what's going on. And so it's a really big deal, especially for um, fundraising and opportunities like that to uh, get the word out about We Care uh, and allowing us to, uh, to, to really do some great things. And it also allows us to put the model that is We Care, We Share in front of our brotherhood to show our brotherhood what it looks like, not to just do ministry in church, but in a community. Amen? So We Care, We Share is doing great things. Please uh, consider it, pray about it, and think about con contributing. Uh, the second thing I want to point out is we've uh, transitioned into our, uh, our, uh, our third phase of um, discovering our kingdom concept. Uh, our group has gotten together, and uh, we've looked at our local predicament. We've looked at our uh, apostolic esprit, which is basically the leadership bent. And then we also, right now, are looking at our uh, collective potential, which is essentially, what is Amherst Church good at? What do we do? What are we known for? Um, if you're a Facebook uh, person, on the Facebook page, there's a number of questions, about 16 questions. I encourage you to get on there if you haven't. 
You can answer those questions and uh, email them to me. Uh, we do have uh, a list of people that each of our teams within our group have, uh, have selected to go and to basically ask questions of. Uh, they're cross-demographics. They are uh, people who have helped founded the church and people who have just founded the church. <laughs> and so it's all across the board asking questions like, what are we good at? What are we known for? What can people expect here? Um, and that will allow us to really fill in some of the blanks as to what kind of church we want to be going forward in 2020. Uh, because we want 2020 not just to be a year, we want it to be about our vision, being clear about what we are as a church here in our community. And that, of course, leads us back to getting real. And our Discipleship 301 course. And you say, well, what are the other two? Well, 101 was Living God's Love, an introduction to Christian spirituality, which was essentially uh, an introduction to God's story and the spiritual disciplines uh, that allow us to engage that story. Uh, Discipleship 201 was essentially how our story shapes up uh, and how God is influencing our own local, predict, uh, our own personal story of faith, what part we play. Well, Discipleship 301 is a recognition that before we recognize Jesus as Lord, guess who had the job? We did. Before we recognize God as God, guess who had the job? We did. We played God and Lord and even Savior for ourselves. And as a result of that, there are realities that take place in our life. Uh, that this particular series is designed to allow us to look at, to get real with, and to deal with the aftermath of trying to be God. That's why this series is also connected to making uh, God's healing choices. That first choice is this, the reality choice. A choice to deal with reality as it is. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, when uh, scholars are, are debate a lot about what it means to be uh, blessed, uh, does it just mean to be happy? Does it just mean um, it's the right way? And really, uh, it encompasses a, a, huge, uh, a huge concept. Um, it's really the, 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 li the, um, excuse me, the life lived correctly. And of course, the life lived correctly, the life lived according to God's will, is going to be blessed, is going to be happy, but not all the time. So it's not just a happy life. Uh, blessed means a life lived correctly and will be blessed, a blessed life. But specifically, those who are poor in spirit. Now, how many of you, uh, how many of you ever heard the sermon, poor in spirit, or the, or the teaching, that that means believers are supposed to kind of be like Eeyore? You guys know who Eeyore is, right? Eeyore is always kind of down the doldrums. And have you ever noticed that sometimes the idea that Christians are supposed to be solemn and sorrowful um, is something that is perpetuated. Uh, let me give you uh, an example of this. Um, I know we've heard the song um, Mansions Over a Hilltop, right? The second verse in Mansions Over the Hilltop says something along the lines of, I'm not discouraged, I'm heaven bound, right? Uh, I'm not deserted, right? As if, as if the normal... Uh, you know, affect of a Christian is to be sort of sorrowful to the extent that the world looks at you and think, man, you life, your life just really stinks. You must be, you must be discouraged. And the response, no, I'm just a Christian. I'm heaven bound. No, this is not what this is talking about, right? Jesus isn't saying happy, well lived is the life that is like Eeyore. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is blessed, well lived is the life who recognizes their spiritual poverty. 
Blessed is the life who recognizes their, their need, who recognizes their spiritual poverty without God. We say, what spiritual poverty? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. We realize that I am not God. I realize that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Now, before we start putting pictures of people in our head that fit this, and we think about, quote-unquote, those people, this applies to all of us. Amen? This is not a select few people who just can't get their stuff together. Um, we pay a lot of lip service to this idea that God is God and Lord and Savior. And then we go about pretending that we are God and Lord and Savior. If he is God, if he is Lord, that means he is responsible to manage your life. Amen? It means he is responsible for our righteousness. And that is a difficult thing for us to swallow because we like to do it our way. We have a, a king on the throne and oftentimes that king is us. The reality choice is a recognition that God is God, that we are not. And so this morning I want to share with you three things. I'm going to share with you the cause of the, for our desire to be where we're king. I want to talk about the consequences, and then I want to talk about the cure. But rest assured, the reality choice is all of us need God to manage us and to deal with our tendency to sin. Now, again, let me just echo this. We want God to deal with our sin. We're just not always too excited when... God says, I need to also direct your life. Because, quite frankly, you gave me the rules. I can do it my way, right? I can, I can live up to your expectation. Well, such is not the case. Paul makes it very clear that no one will be made righteous based on law-keeping. We need someone to help manage our lives. So, three reasons. The cure, or the cause, the consequences, and the cure. Here is the cause. Our tendency to do wrong. Our spiritual poverty is connected to our tendency to do wrong. Have you guys ever been to Aldi's? Got, a, uh, got one of the, the carts and, and the, the wheel is bent. I think I've used this illustration before, but I, I think it's a good one. Uh, you ever have a bent wheel on a cart? It's so difficult. You're like run, driving around in, in the store and it's shaking and rattling and rolling and pulling. Well, essentially, that's how we are as people. Paul says we have this sin nature. Uh, Augustine says it's this incuritus in vey, or in may, or in say, rather. Uh, basically, we are bent in on self. And, uh, and guess what? Uh, he's not alone. Paul said it as well. We know that the law is spiritual, Paul says, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I want, excuse me, what I want, I do. Or should be what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law. The law is good. And it is. It is no longer I myself who do it. But it is the sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful... Everyone say it together. My sinful nature. Good does not dwell in my sinful nature. So it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. Right? One of the reasons that we have this spiritual poverty is that we are bent in on self. We have this natural tendency to do the wrong thing, to, um, 
we're kind of like a garden. You know what is ironic about the, um, the, the greenhouses that we put up at We Care, We Share? We already have to weed. They just planted the plants and we already have the weed. See, that's, that's us. That's who we are. We have the capacity to grow, but within that same soil, there are weeds that are going to grow. We have this sin nature that loves to turn in on self. We are the, we are the grocery cart with a broken wheel. That's why we need God to manage our lives. We need someone to constantly have their hands on us, redirecting us in the right way that we should go. Not only do we have this tendency to do wrong uh, and, and to, bend, to bend in on self, uh, our greatest sin is that we try to put ourselves on the throne. Genesis 3, 1 through 5 tells of a, a, a section of scripture that is often referred to as the fall, but what we have come to learn is also referred to as the rise of a competitive kingdom. God's, man, humanity's fall wasn't, ooh, uh, let me check it out. I, I'm, I'm curious about this bench that was painted green and the sign that said, don't touch the wet paint, you know? I've had it described like that before in Bible class. Like our, our greatest sin, Adam and Eve's greatest sin is that they were just curious and innocent. That's not how the story unfolds. The story unfolds, Satan tempts them to be like God. Let's read it for ourselves. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the uh, fruits of the tree in the garden, but God uh, did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like who? God, knowing good and evil. I, I've, I've heard so many scholars try to talk about, well, this is Satan. He's, he's adding an extra word there and adding an extra word there and gets, gets Eve off of her game. <laughs> this is pretty direct. What did God say? Don't eat it. Nah, it's okay. You can eat it, and if you eat it, you'll be like, you'll be like God. So our curving in on self is the act of wanting to place ourselves upon the throne, wanting to place ourselves as God. And it's not just a desire to be God, it's, it's also the desire to act like God. That's really when it begins to unfold in our life. When we begin to act like God, when we try to control our image. You know, um, different uh, celebrities and political figures have fixers. People who hear a, a rumor or two about their image and they're designed to go out and, and to, to handle, handle the problem and, and to twist it around so that they look good, right? Well, we take that role upon ourselves. We, we love to sort of uh, twist it in our direction. We, we wear masks. We don't want anyone to know that anything ever bad is going to... Have you ever noticed, like... You can come to church for like a year and ask someone how they're doing, and like 99.9% .9 of the times they're like, oh, good. Have you ever stopped and thought like, really? Like, 100 times I've met you, and 100 times you've had a, you've had a great day and a great week, and maybe you did. I'm not asking us to be, uh, you know, uh, complaining, but we, 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 we sometimes wear masks. If your life is anything like mine, it's an up and down thing all week long, sometimes moment to moment. But it's, it's all good. I'm good. I got it handled. 
you know? We control our image. We don't want, I don't want you knowing my business. I don't want you thinking that about me. What would you say if you knew that Matt struggled with fill in the blank? Wow. I don't want you knowing about it. We, we control our image. We also like to control other people. Uh, kids, they want to control their parents. Parents, they want to control their kids. Husbands, they want to control their wives. Wives, they want to kill and control their husbands. <laughs> we want to control our coworkers. We want to control our neighbors. We want to control our friends. We want to control the guy that's in front of us, the guy that's in back of us, the guy all around us. We want, and you know what? We have developed tools to do so. We are really good at contriving and manipulating and using things like guilt and shame and the uh, nuclear bomb of silent treatment and the cold shoulder and, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushing out a carrot when you need a carrot and pushing out a, a rod when you need a rod. We're really good, we think, at manipulating people. We try to control people. We also, well, we also try to control our problems. Our problems get out of control, and, and uh, we, we do our best to try to rein it back in, right? We, uh, uh, things get out of our control, and, and, and so we spend all of our time worrying. Have you ever been up late at night because you're worrying about that thing that's going to happen? Show of hands, how many of you have stayed up late worrying about something? You ever eat too much because you're worried about something? <laughs> Have you ever worried about the fact that your decision was made selfishly, even if it's a good one? You ever wanted to do the right thing and did the wrong thing? Come on now. We, we, and, and we, we love to try to control those problems. And it ends up filling our life with anxiety and pain and sorrow so many things we try to control our pain oh this is where it really gets bad right because when we control our pain there's a number of things we do we try to avoid pain we try to escape pain we try to uh minimize pain we, we try to uh, uh postpone pain kicking it down the road and, and and the way we often deal with pain is, is sometimes the most unhealthy way so we, we try to drink it away we try, to, we try to snort it away. We try to do drugs so much that we're not, we're not really paying attention to the pain anymore. You guys remember the old cartoons or old uh, slapstick comedy shows where, where someone would show up and they'd, they'd hurt a pinky or something so the guy breaks his hand so he doesn't hurt about the pinky? That, that, that's what we do. We do this all the time. We, we allow things in our life to catch flames so we don't have to pay attention to the pain that's really going on. Sometimes it's, it's not drugs and alcohol. Sometimes it's relationships. You, you just lose yourself in these relationships so you don't have to deal with the pain. Sometimes it's, believe it or not, it can be good things like, like sports, like, like all sorts of things that distract us from what's really going on. All of that comes out of our desire to be like God, to control our image and, our, and people and problems and our pain. And let me just ask you, without even going into this next section, how are we doing when we do it this way? How successful are you when you try to control people and your image and problems and your pain? Do you find yourself managing well? Honestly, some of you think, yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job. No one knows 
I'm a raging alcoholic. I think we call those functional alcoholics, right? No one knows I'm up late at night with my computer looking at pornography. No one knows. On the inside, I'm dying. Some people do manage it. But it kills them on the inside. Other of us, <laughs> we just can't control anything. It gets out of our, our control, out of our hands. And there's a, a consequences that come along with it. Let's look at the consequences. Number one, uh, one of the consequences that come with trying to be God is fear. Genesis 3.10 says, He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was what? Afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. So sometimes we're just so afraid of being found out. Here's the thing that blows my mind. It doesn't blow my mind. Because I understand, I feel the same way. But here's the thing that should blow our minds. That God says, you're not getting to heaven on your own righteousness. You're a sinner. Fall short of the glory of God. And yet we spend so much time hiding the fact that we're a sinner. Right? Because we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid God is still in the wrath business, like we talked about in Bible class. Sometimes we're afraid the church is still in the wrath business. Sometimes we're afraid other people are in the wrath business. We're afraid of what people might think of us. Fear is, is a natural result of trying to play God. Here, here's another one. Uh, frustration. Uh, echoing Paul again. For I know the desires of what, to, what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not... For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This keeps, <laughs> this I keep on doing. It's really frustrating. If you ever struggled with a habit and, and struggled with it and really tried to struggle with it, it's really frustrating. I remember as a, as a young kid growing up, I should tell you, I'm going to tell you. This. Anyways, as a kid, a pastor's, preacher's kid, and um, of course that means I was supposed to be perfect. And... Uh, what ended up happening is like I had my church life and then I had my real life. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, my church life, like, oh, you're a good boy, you know? And uh, all the little silver hairs just you know, love me to death. And, and then I would go to school, play basketball, and I cuss like a sailor. Because <laughs> that's what you do on the court. You get in the other guy's head. And I remember, I remember trying to stop. And how hard it was to not just absolutely talk a mad game on the court. It was tough. I had to, it took me a long time. And, I, and to be honest, it gets me at the wrong moment. I, I, I revert back to it, said the preacher. Come on, I've been around y'all, I heard you. Um, <laughs> Seriously, why do we hide stuff like that? As if. Hmm. There's frustration, there's fear, there's also fatigue. David said it this way, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This is David's reflection on hiding his sin of David and Bathsheba from God. And it said it just sapped his strength. Um, so I'll give you an example of this. 
Uh, I had to do a wedding one time and uh, I didn't have enough money to go and rent one. So I was going to go and use the old suit, black suit that I had growing up. Well, it had been some time and apparently uh, suits, when they're hung in the closet, they just shrink for some reason. <laughs> and <laughs> I got this old suit out and put it on and I got it closed. But that was about it. I looked like a fool the whole time. And I got home, I was hurting. I was, I was holding it all in, and it was a lie. <laughs> it wasn't the reality. I wasn't a 36 anymore. You know, I, I was way more than that. And, and, and that, that's how sin works in our life. We, 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 we hold it in. We have this myth that Christians are good people. They're not. They're righteous, made righteous by God, but we're not good people. It's just a myth. But that, that belt we put around ourselves, and then we wonder why we can't measure up to it. And it hurts. And, and if you get home every night and, and you realize I'm not, I'm not measuring up to this good myth that is out there, you, you begin to hurt, you begin to have pain, and, and you can't really be yourself, and you look weird, and you act weird, you're disproportionate to the way you normally would. Where I was walking around like a stiff guy. You know? it, it affects your whole life. Fatigue. Then, of course, failure. Proverbs 28, verse 10 says, Whoever leads the upright along an evil path will fall into their own trap, but the blameless will receive a good hand. The, the whole point of this text is this, is that eventually, if you are walking as if you're God, you fall victim to the very thing you think you're doing. Trying to play God? In fact, Paul says in Romans 1, 18 32, some of our classes have been looking at, that the consequences of trying to be God is a life where you're trying to be God. And it just all falls apart and falls over together on you. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is currently being revealed. Because when you try to play God, you will fail. You fail. We can't be Lord. You can't be Savior. You can't be God. You can't be your own manager. You cannot get it right. We desperately need God. That's why we transition to the cure. The cure is simple. Admitting we need God. I just want to stop here for a second and let that sink in because that is the answer. It's not the millions of other steps and practical things that we can do. Uh, you know, uh, Brian, we sang that song, How Shall the, the Young Secure Their Heart? And it speaks of the rules that are given us. And I, I totally agree with that song that we have rules from God that help us live holy lives. But understand this. The only thing secure in your heart is the grace of Jesus. Rules can't do it. It's always the heart. It's always a personal relationship. You can throw a thousand steps, a thousand good rules, a thousand great wisdom sayings. You could go to life coaches and death coaches and happy coaches, and you can have all of the world's wisdom wrapped up in a five-point presentation. But if you don't have God in your heart, it is absolutely useless. That's why Paul says, there will be no one who was made righteous, whether under the law or apart from the law. 
Because the thing that makes us pure is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the answer always begins by saying, I love you. I admit I need you. Here are some things we need to admit. When when that happens, here are some things we have to do. We have to admit you're powerless to change your past. So much of this function in our present life and our future comes because we're looking to the past and we're dealing with the the sin and the shame and the guilt and the circumstances and the consequences. You know, know, we we look at that and, and we do that because we're good people. The myth. We do that because we feel like we have, to, we have to somehow manage all the stuff that that means about my life. I had this divorce. I struggled with drugs. I, I, I cheated on this person. Or I, I, I did this or that. Or I, I've, you know, whatever it is, we, we look back and we feel like we have to take upon ourselves the guilt and the shame because of, look, look, we have to punish ourselves. We have to deal with that. No, that, you, you don't. You're powerless to do anything about that. Acknowledging that is wisdom. And telling God, you're going to have to take care of my past is the way out. It's the way of freedom. It's admitting there's nothing you can do about it. If you haven't come to a situation in your life where you can't fix it, and and you're of the impression that you're able to manage your own life and something goes bad, it's going to destroy you. It will. It'll destroy you. The the, the hardest sin hits, the hardest sin hits is not the person who overtly says, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't care about God. It's the person who thinks they're good enough to earn God's approval. That's the person that it hits hardest. Because they feel like they have to somehow earn it, somehow fix it. Somehow if I, if I can just live in the pain enough, if I could just punish myself enough, if I could just say, you know, 15 rosaries, if I could just smack myself or do enough good works or whatever it is, I, I, can, I can make up for your past. No, it doesn't work. That's all been satisfied on the cross. You're wasting your time. You're powerless over your past. But until you recognize that, the past is powerful over you. Here's another thing we need to to give up. We need to recognize that we're powerless to control other people. Oh, we've got to learn this one. It's hard to learn, amen? I can't even take care of myself, let alone everyone else. Right? Uh, well, this is within reason. Parents, you know, raise your children and, and all of that. But you realize, it doesn't matter how you raise them, they're going to make their own choices. Amen? Even if you raise them up in the way that they should go. That's not a guarantee, by the way. That's a general truth. There's a lot of kids I know who were raised up really well and end up living and raising heck. There's a lot of kids that weren't raised well who end up coming to faith and become some of the, some of the most impactful Christians I know. You, you stop trying to manipulate people. 
Stop trying to, 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 to protect God's honor. We do that a lot. Churches get, become guilty of that. Like, you know, listen, I have to be hard on this person because what is that going to say about God? That he loves sinners. God doesn't need protecting. Amen? Let me say that again. God doesn't need protecting. His honor is never up for grabs. Regardless of how we act. We don't need to protect God. We don't try to control people to protect God. You can't. If God doesn't force people to do things, who are you? And, 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 and don't allow this lie to sneak into your head. Well, if I don't do it, they have no hope. Ha! You're not the hope to begin with. Your wisdom isn't the hope to begin with. Guess who their hope is? It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit working within them. That's why I, get, I feel guilty. I, I, I feel guilty. I'm guilty of, of doing this all the time. I'll say things like, we got to save the people. No, we don't. That's not our job. We're not saving people. God is. Our job is to facilitate a meeting. That's it. You can't save people. I can't save people. God's in the saving business. We don't have to control them. Thirdly, you're powerless to cope with our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. This is true. We really have a choice to make. We really have a choice to make. You know, uh, at the beginning of, of our sermon, I started with Psalms 103, I believe it was. Um, I love that passage. It, Kurt set it up here at communion, and it just... There's a passage in there that we quoted this morning that just always sticks with me. It says that God is compassionate with us because he remembers that we are what? We're dust. <laughs> we are but dust. And he says we're like a, a little plant that, that blooms and a flower comes up and then it blows away and then no one even knows it was there. That, he goes, in reality, we are but dust. God understands that. You know who doesn't understand that? Us. We are dust. And so here's the choice to make with our lives, with our hurts, our habits, and hang-ups. You can turn your hurts and habits and hang-ups over to dust, or you can turn it over to the divine. You can turn it over to God, or you can try to control it yourself. You can turn it over to the, the clay, or you can turn it over to the clay maker. That's the choice. This first choice is really the most important. If you get this right, if you can admit you need God, if you can admit that I am not God, that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable, if you can admit that, if you can admit you are spiritually poor, Jesus says, you are blessed. Because Jesus is right there to be our God, to be our King, to be our Savior. This morning, I want to have you all stand up. And I want to do this inverse of what we normally do. Usually, uh, at the end, we'll do uh, a song, and then we'll say, hey, if anyone needs anything, you can come forward. And I, I know we do that. Um, sometimes, 
I, I think uh, we, we're, we kind of do things to our own chagrin or damage or what do you want to say. Um, sometimes this becomes a walk of shame, you know. People feel embarrassed to get out and walk down in front of everybody. Um, and so what I'm going to ask you to do is as we go through this song, if you feel like you need to trust Jesus in something in your life and you want people to pray for you, would you just sit down? And then whoever's around them, right? It, it, whoever's around them, if you'll just gather around them and be praying and singing as we go through this song. Um, I'm not going to assume in a, in a group this big that no one has any, no one is absence of need today. If you're here, there's got to be someone that needs some help, right? Um, if this is true, we all kind of do. So the first step is admitting you need something. <coughs> so we're going to sing this song. You'll get the lights. And, uh, and if you need just the prayers of the church or your brethren, uh, please sit down and everyone around will gather around and we'll sing this and we'll call it a day.
I'll say this together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Be blessed, church. You're dismissed.